Uh, so I'm very excited to be back and welcome us to our 15th episode after uh, a brief hiatus, we'll call it. Um, so Mike and I are really excited to be back. Um, we've been through a lot of changes in the last year and made a lot of new friends, one of them who um, I'm very excited to have here with us today. Um, so this is a friend and also someone who I go to a lot for advice and wisdom and navigating all sorts of things, um, including friends and relationships and jobs, which is what we want to talk about a little bit today. So, um, Michael Lai, can you um, tell us and our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and where you are and what got you to where you are right now? Sure. Um, thanks, Shilpi. And first of all, that's like a very flattering introduction. Um, totally right back at you with all the advice and, uh, and insights and everything like that. Friendship. Um, so my name is Michael. Um, I'm currently leading student outreach in North America for Minerva. Um, so essentially at Minerva, we're trying to build the world's best university in the 21st century. Um, so how I got to that, I was originally born in China, grew up in Southern California, um, and had always been interested in sort of public service and you know, tutoring and, and giving back. I did mock trial for four years in high school and for the longest time thought I wanted to be a lawyer uh, and then went to college and in my very first semester did a 180 and decided that uh, law was not for me. So I kind of stuck with the public sector thing in one side, which was teaching. So I started teaching fifth graders civic education um, in local Boston schools and just really, really loved it. Um, every single night I'd go go back at home and stay up night, all night and think about um, pedagogy and behavior management and all these very nerdy teacher things. Um, so I ended up teaching every single semester I was in college and really sort of seeing different classroom contexts and started out with a um, fifth grade class, really advanced students, sons and daughters of professors. And sort of the next semester was found myself in South Boston with eighth graders who were three reading levels behind. Some of them came from foster homes and, you know, just such a different classroom dynamic. And I think that really got me thinking about some of the more structural questions in education. So, you know, how do health systems interact with education systems? And, um, you know, how does systemic poverty interact with education? And so it got me thinking much bigger picture. So, yeah, so I started thinking about more systemic ways to, to solve education problems. And that eventually took me to some startups. It took me to the education research team at Google, where I spent a summer interning in college, and then eventually took me to Minerva. So that's kind of my connecting the dots, looking backwards story. It was obviously a lot messier uh, when I was making the decision at the time, but that's kind of how I got to where I am now. And I'm, I'm based in San Francisco. So, yeah. So how planned was all of that? It seems <laughs> like you, you kind of started down uh, you know, the pedagogy path, and uh, yeah. then you just kind of found your way to being at an education technology startup. So like, did you think you're going to end up there? And what were the inflection points that made you like ping pong around to where you are now? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think it was a lot of, uh, so I guess one thing is like how I got to teaching in the first place was I think pretty arbitrary. And I actually, this is, so we're going to get, we're going to get philosophical real quick. Okay. I, <laughs> Good. I am not a believer in passion. I think passion is a very overrated thing. And I feel like if you just go through, like if you were to ask someone, 
like what like Chilpi or, or Mike, like what are you guys passionate about? It very quickly, like if you keep asking the five whys, it eventually gets to I don't know. And it very quickly gets to like, I, I guess I was just naturally kind of good at this thing and my parents had me do piano when I was five and, <laughs> and then I stuck with it because I was pretty good at it and now I'm a musician. You know, I think it like, it always starts at that point. So for me, it was like, I'd always loved people and you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, like did some public service stuff, really liked it, was pretty good at it, kept going. So that led me to teaching and then I think at that point though, I started becoming more aware of like what my values were or what I cared about. And then it was a matter, I think, of like just crossing off things off the list. Like recognizing like, oh, I care about people. I care about public impact or you know, social impact. Uh, I really like teaching. And then it's kind of like going through like a bunch of questions. Like, oh, well, okay, if I like teaching, if I like education, does that mean I should be a teacher? So I stuck with the teaching thing and was like, uh, no, not quite. And then it was like, well, the next question was like, should I be a school administrator? And then like talking with some school administrators and realizing, oh, well, this isn't really the life I want to live. Or being like, oh, well, maybe I should be, right? And like just, it's kind of like every, once you come to this like inflection point of like, I guess I'm, I like this thing. And there's like a, just a tree of a bunch of questions that come from that and like kind of systematically going through and trying to answer those questions. It's like, yeah, I think, this, I think how I kind of approached it. I definitely feel this, that when I'm surrounded by people who like have the thing, or it's like, okay, well, I, I don't know a lot, but I do know that I want to do this thing. And it's either sort of in two domains, either a skill or an area, sometimes mm, an yeah. industry. Um, totally. And sometimes they're like, I'm really interested in making things, or I'm really interested in designing things, or I'm really yeah. interested in teaching things. And yeah. those sort of make more sense to me. They're a little bit more long-term and, and sort of permanent. But then it's like, I'm really passionate about... Um, like Android development. And it's like, okay, well then what if you had been born a hundred years ago? Like, would you still right. be passionate about Android development? Cause like, <laughs> sure. I don't think that really works. And so, sure, sure. yeah. And I, so I guess the question here is like when you kind of identify maybe a few of those things or you have multiple areas or not even, mm -hmm. um, what does that type of interest look like? Like what qualities do you associate it with when you think about, education or public service or helping people, um, mm. what emotions does that evoke in you? And how could other people sort of identify the same thing in their, like me, who I have yeah. you know, a list of like 15 things I think I'm interested in that, you know, are constantly adding to and changing. Like what, what should I be looking for? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I think like a couple really good, I'm going to talk around it a little bit because I think it's like hard to get at directly what it is, but I think some like indicators, like one is just like, do you, are you in a state of flow when you're like doing that thing? Right? Like, do you, does time just like go by? Does like, do you look up and you're just like, whoa, like I was just so keyed in on whatever that thing was. Maybe it's coding, maybe it was design, maybe it was like teaching or whatever maybe. And I think another thing is just where you find your thoughts wandering uh, and what you're curious to learn more about on your free time. Right? So like, I think for a while, like, you know, public service is a big, broad, fuzzy thing within it. There's like education, there's healthcare, there's all these other verticals. And I originally, when my self identity was like, oh, I'm like a public service person, and I started reading like the politics section of the newspaper or, you know, like NYT or whatever, and realizing very quickly that like I didn't actually want to read that. Like <laughs> I read a couple articles and I was just like, wow, I'm really force feeding myself this stuff. Like there must be something that doesn't resonate. Or law, for example, like, oh, there must be something that really doesn't resonate. Um, so I think that's like one thing. 
The other thing that I think is just always introspecting about the underlying values, right? It's like, what is it? Like, what do you actually want to get from your work? Um, mm-hmm. And what do you actually want to get from your life, right? The two being very intertwined and like, you know, maybe the values, like what's, yeah, what's like important to you? Like maybe like impacts are important to you. Maybe the relationships you have with people are really important to you. And I think that's, you know, that's the other thing is like, there's like the surface level indicators, things like flow or what you pick up when you see a new server. There's also the very deep, like what, yeah, like yeah. what your values are thing. That's interesting. You mentioned, you used a phrase there. Um, you said it's about what you find yourself doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a very passive way of thinking about like how you define your career path. Um, just like finding yourself like accidentally doing something. But I think that's really accurate. And I think it's why a lot of super type A people like often go down paths that they don't necessarily love (laughs) it's because they like feel the need to like do 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 but what Mm. you said there was a lot more to the note of like listening to yourself and figuring out like when you feel the best um yeah so is there like it's a hard thing to just do because in in its nature it's like Mm -hmm. listening so are, are there any things you recommend people do to be a little more i guess uh, to, to better understand what those things are for them. Because like, I, I feel like it, you can't just like sit down and like write out the list of like, here's when I feel great. Um, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. what do you recommend to people when they're trying to listen to what feels right? And just to clarify, do you mean that on the surface level stuff, like the interests, or do you mean that on the underlying like values or both? Uh, I think both. both? I mean, I, I, I've given Shilpi career advice before and I, uh, I don't know if I'm one to give advice but what I always tell her is like listen to your gut just mm. go with your gut and I'm always like my gut's not saying anything <laughs> like I don't know I can't hear it I, you know it really it, it's frustrating when people are like just yeah you know just go with what you like just do what you want you have to like feel it to, for it to be right and I'm like well you know yeah maybe I'm over analytical or my brain is talking too loudly but um yeah. you know my gut's not really something I'm attuned to. Interesting. Um, so, hmm. you know, one thing I'll just like caveat, and I don't know if this contradicts what I said earlier to the extent where... It's, You're allowed to contradict yourself, like, whatever. Yeah, yeah. This is a learning experience. So learning experience. We're growing through this conversation. But, uh, maybe, I, maybe I need to reconcile this myself and like how I think about this. But I think, again, like I don't really believe in pa- passion. I think to a certain extent, what I mean by that is it's like important to to find flow and to like, you know, sort of really vibe and resonate with what you're doing right now. But I don't think that like love, like I guess this is, love is the other analogy is like, I don't think there's a perfect thing out there for everybody. Right. I think we're all like probabilistically predisposed to certain things and therefore, and like any number of things can like fit that. And it also, there's like effort goes into the equation as well. Right. So I actually think what's more important than passion is like conviction. So you have these like inclinations, right? You're like, I'm a people person. Like I like working with kids. I like for some reason or another care about impact. Like these are some things that I care about. But then I think it takes the conviction to say, I'm going to make a choice and try out teaching. And that seems interesting. I'm going to devote myself to this like, and just single-mindedly per- like deep dive into this. And then I'm going to surface from my deep dive 
and be like, this was great, let's continue, or this was not so good, let's tweak, or this was horrible, let's go to a different, let's play a different ball game, right? So yeah. I think that's kind of, for me, the like thing is it's like, is like having enough self-awareness to say like, these are kind of the indicators for me on an interest level and maybe on like a deeper values level, and then to make a choice and to stick with the choice, right? It's like, I think so much of like how I saw my classmates and like the overarching philosophy around finding jobs after grad was like open doors, like keep a lot of doors open. Mm-hmm. But I think, I, I kind of disagree with that. I think you have to walk through doors and like you think you have to close doors and it's okay. Like there's another level, like layer of doors after the first doors, you know, like yeah. the U.S. Department of Labor says we're going to have, you know, our generation is going to have 15 jobs between 18 and 44. Like there are more like levels of doors, right? But you have to close some doors and have conviction and, and um, in walking through the first set, yeah. I think. So... I don't know if that answers your question. That was a very long caveat. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, in, I think that's pretty good advice and like probably advice that a lot of times we should be giving each other more often. It's like, stop like this optionality. This Mm -hmm. there's like the told, uh, you know, Taleb's like anti-fragility where you're supposed to have all your eggs in different baskets. And I totally use that as like a operating mechanism to not make decisions and not, you know, close off opportunities. Um, and you know, you graduated, I guess a year ago now, right. From Harvard, mm-hmm. um, and coming out, you, you made a, a pretty big decision. What were the factors and what was your process for like, as, you know, as granulars as you think is valuable, like how, what was your process for, for picking Minerva and what were you looking for in that? Yeah. Oh, it's something I haven't thought about for a while. Um, so, so what I did in my job search was I kind of, so I made a spreadsheet <laughs> and I had uh so I made like I had like one sheet that was like these are cool organizations I would love to work for. And at that point I think I had gotten pretty narrow already. It was <laughs> this is actually probably pretty narrow like pretty narrow as far as most people's searches go. It was like ed tech startups between 30 and 75 people in the Bay Area. <laughs> how did, okay, so back so, up before that. Uh-huh. How did you get to that point? Oh sure. So I mean, it was like, you know, I had already been like, okay, well, education is the general like space of problems I want to be working in. And then it was like going through this process, like through college of like what angle, right? So to Mike's point a little bit earlier about inflection points, I had this one thing where I was like, I, re- I thought like for a summer, I was like, I'm going to do community organizing of parents and like, maybe that'll be my thing. Right. Um, I ended up not, but like that was not, but I substituted for nonprofits and I was like, okay, that's not my angle in education. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to try startups. Like, I'm going to try a really small startup. And I was like, wow, this is interesting, but we're all over the place. Like, I would like something with slightly more structure, so a slightly bigger startup maybe. Um, and then I kind of like was like, well, let me try the big company thing just to see if that's like interesting. So I went to Google and was like, this is not for me. And so I kind of did this like Goldilocks, you know, mm-hmm. this like just, just right porridge with like growth stage startup. So that's kind of how I... yeah. Narrowed it. Then you made your spreadsheet. Then I made my spreadsheet. And what were the columns on that spreadsheet? Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh, well, well, I want to see it. (laughs) We'll add a screenshot. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, We'll we'll uh, we'll send it over afterwards. But uh, it's so I had one sheet that was like great organizations. I had one sheet that was like great people, right? Because I was like, one thing I learned was just like, you know, there are certain people out there where I will literally drop everything and just like you know, make coffee for this person for free for like the insight you'll get from them, right? So 
I had a list of great people as well. So those are like the two bases that I worked off of. In terms of the organizations, I mean, the columns I had, <laughs> I like rated all these orgs on different dimensions. I was like, well, like growth is important. You know, like growth of the organization as a whole is important. Market's important. Um, uh, like the mission's important. The quality of people there. My manager in specific is really important because that's probably going to be the person I'm interacting with the most. Um, I don't know. I had like maybe seven or eight dimensions that I was rating each of them on. And then I rank ordered them. And then I was like, who do I know at each of these places? <laughs> uh, and then I just reached out. Um, and same goes with the, uh, with the people list. Although I wasn't, I didn't rate the top people on like all these dimensions. <laughs> <laughs> That's really, it's really interesting. I, I, this is a cool conversation because it's striking me that you're a good, happy medium between Shilpi and I. Like, uh-huh. Uh-huh. like, Oh, do tell. <laughs> yeah, she'll be, I'm going to put her on blast for a second here. Yeah. Um, she'll like create spreadsheets and like have all these options and just kind of like be staring at them. Uh, I will not organize things at all and just like, I, I agree with you that conviction is really important and mm-hmm. I'll just like pretty much pick something that seems like it's kind of okay and just do it as hard as I can mm. and like... Okay see where I end up and yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot to be said for the, like the blend of organization and action that you take where it's like, okay, I'm going to organize this, but with the end goal of making a decision and like going through with it until I hit a wall or keep going. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's funny, you uh, sent Shilpi the career manifesto, mm-hmm. and I read that, and the whole time I'm reading that, like I was thinking that it's the complete opposite of how I go about things. Can uh, you uh, give some context around what the career manifesto is? Do you want me to, or, or Michael? Yeah, Michael, why don't you, and then we'll, we'll also send a link out to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sure, happy to. It's, um, so basically it's like... It was written by a former Google executive um, who had given out a lot of career advice to some of the people that he had, like some of the younger people that he had hired and mentored. And it's like this really comprehensive, there's like eight parts to it, manifesto, how to think about career planning. And I think this, the like motivation that he comes to it with is really interesting and true, which is that career planning is, is like the ultimate, not urgent, but important thing. It's like for young, smart people, ambitious people coming out of college. It's something that's so important to spend even just a few hours of dedicated thought to, but we end up not doing it because it's painful. We don't know where to start. There's no structure to it. Um, and so one of my buddies sent this to me and I, I just went through the exercise one weekend and it's, it was interesting. I wouldn't say it like necessarily taught me a lot of new insights, but I think it did like force me to think in more detail about a lot of things that I hadn't previously. Did it help you with like the listening part? of like better understanding what your motivations were or I, I guess yeah how did it add value to your search and like planning yeah I didn't do it I did it recently so I did it after I had already picked my first job um it was more about I think thinking through jobs one through five you know I think it was interesting for like that process mm-hmm. um one thing I love is that it starts with your personal values because it starts with saying, okay, like most, a lot of career planning starts with what you want for your career outcomes. 
as like the first thing, but instead let's start with your life outcomes. Like what kind of life do you want to live? What kind of person do you want to be? And let's set all those personal constraints first. Like, you know, and then let's dig into career goals. And I thought that was like really helpful and really realistic. Cause I think for, for most people, myself included, like the relationships and the family and the life, like that is really, really important. And we, I think we tend to underweigh that when we think about career decisions. Okay, on that, I have a totally unanticipated question um, that I've been talking a lot about with my friends, which is like, do you move if for someone else at this age? So we're like, what? We're getting into relationships. So, I mean, I (laughs) don't, admittedly, don't understand relationships, you know, like, I've been avoiding them, probably live in fear (laughs) of commitment of them. But like, that is such a, I think it's such a speaks to both the short term and long term balancing professional and values. And you know, I just saw there was a, a Forbes tweeted there were ninety four thousand, you know, something ninety four thousand six hundred something job openings in San Francisco right now. Mm. Okay, and so when we say like, you know, should you move for someone else? Like, it what if what if your job is so fulfilling and whatever? Like, why would you go for that person? Or like, of course you'd go for that person. You know, like there are so many jobs. Where obviously it's personal and it totally depends on the relationship, but like. How do you think that fits into to some of these value decisions? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think you do if it's the right person. I think it's the most important decision you can make, right? Like, that's that's my take on it. Um, yeah, I had a, I had like one of my best friends in college. He came and visited recently, and we did this uh, we did this long road trip down to Monterey from San Francisco. It's about a two and a half hour three hour drive. Um, highly recommended, scenic, scenic. Um, and we got into this really deep conversation about long-term relationships. And he was saying, well, you know what I see a lot happening with, he was the same, same class as me, graduated last year. He was like, what I see a lot happening with our friends is that they're just not spending enough time on looking for relationships. And it's like one of those things where it's not rational from a long-term perspective. If like the long-term them knows that their relationship, especially their like romantic relationship, is going to be the biggest source of happiness in their life, then why not spend more time up front now looking for that person and locking that down? It's almost like the career manifesto philosophy of like, let's set your life values and then brainstorm your career from that. Like, why not try to put more effort into finding that partner mm-hmm. and like have that as a constraint instead of having a career as a constraint in fitting relationships into that? So I thought that was like really interesting. And uh, so yeah, I guess that's, that's how I stand on that question. That's interesting. Like, the last thing you said about um, like which one to nail down first. Yeah. Like, so I, I think plan, like planning in general is like a pretty futile activity in my yeah. opinion. Like usually plans explode upon like the first like week that you have <laughs> to some extent. Um, but like, I, I think what's more important are priorities. So like, even if, you don't have a well thought out five year plan. If you know what's important to you and like the the way that they're prioritized, like if a relationship, if like finding someone is more important than your career, then every decision you just look at that list of priorities and base it off of that. Whereas like over planning, I think can get like really paralyzing when you're trying to take all these parameters and yeah. try to figure out your entire life. Um, and I, I think the prioritization is more important than like the actual plotting of the course. I love that distinction. So you know, on that, on like priorities, um, something that 
I think I learned from you, Michael, about like a year ago when we first met, maybe last summer, um, is you told me about your friend who does the 50 list, who like finds the 50 people that resonate with them. And I don't remember what the parameters are. I've sort of adapted it to like, you know, living or dead and like whatever, you know, whatever person resonates famous or not. Um, And you end up admiring that the person or people that, you know, I, I really like just decided I wanted to read the new Oliver Sacks memoir and was like sort of going back into a lot of things about Oliver Sacks. And it's like you end up admiring them not only from what they accomplished or from the domain or impact that they made, but also from like the type of life that they lived and the type of human. And a lot of like the Steve Jobs obsession has come around, you know, these pretty contrarian, you know, ways that he created the world around him. Um, So in that, I think what, you know, what of those besides relationships, besides, you know, domain of your career and maybe like the skill set in your career, what things are, are you striving for right now? Like what other things are you working on? Huh. That's really interesting. Um, So, so, I mean, this might be cheating a little bit because this is, I guess this does fall into skills, but it's not quite as narrow as like on the job skills, right? Not as narrow as like, oh, I'm going to build product marketing skills, which for example, is something I'm trying to build in my current role. But I think just like broader life skills, like things like empathy or things like, (laughs) things like developing strategic vision or something like that, um, and then I think the other thing broadly for me, like this is one of my goals I set for my sort of year post-grad was just like how to be effective as both a person and like somebody working. So I think that's actually like a really, I, it's something I struggle with tremendously. I don't know about you guys, but it's just like, how do you, how do you be effective? Like, how do you understand yourself well enough? Um, and when I say effective, it's much more than just like Gmail shortcuts and sort of being efficient. But I think it's like, <laughs> It's to Mike's point earlier about like kind of like picking what are the right things to work on mm-hmm. and then working on those. Or like maybe even more broadly, like what are the right things to be spending your time on and then spending your time on those, right? So it's like it does like a lot of it is prioritization. A lot of it is, you know, like understanding your values and prioritizing based on those and then being efficient, like going there fast. So I guess those would be like the things like empathy, strategic vision, effectiveness. Um, how, how are you, how are you yeah. measuring like your development for those things like you know you you could say prioritization okay i'm going to check in with myself every month and therefore i'm being more mindful of prioritization Uh but something like empathy yeah like how do you how do you uh track your progress and like not that everything has to be like not that you have to have an yeah, analytics yeah. dashboard for sure, like sure. personal development. But, but people do. Some people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. like, h- how do you keep track of those things to make sure that you're not just saying it, but you're actually following through on it? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, for me personally, on the empathy front, um, this is just something I do. Like every week I'll spend 30 minutes journaling about the people in my life. Um, I, you know, just like sometimes, and sometimes I'll be more structured about it. Sometimes I'll be more stream of consciousness about it. Sometimes I'll just draw pictures and whatever. Um, sometimes it's like, it ends up being my very close, the very close people in my life, sometimes like friends and family. Sometimes it's, a lot of times it's about strangers actually, interestingly enough. So I think one thing that's very closely tied to empathy that I'm, I guess also working on is compassion. 
uh, one of my really good friends who, who lives in Baltimore, um, she is like one of the most empathetic people I know. And she recently, we had recently had this conversation where she drew a distinction between empathy and compassion. I was like, this is really interesting. Like, what is, what is the distinction? And she was like, well, you know, empathy means understanding people, but compassion means then caring for them and wanting to help them. And if you have empathy without compassion, it's almost like you are, everybody you meet, you know, you are like a sociologist, like you're like just analyzing people, but you're not actually like willing to help them. And so I think for me that journaling sort of helps me think about like, you know, I'll journal like, oh, like these are people I came across today. These are, you know, things that I talked about or had interactions. And sometimes I'll just like write more about like what people's motivations were or like what I could have done better in that situation. Or um, sometimes it'll just be like, what, um, what are some people who are close to me going through right now and how can I help? I think also like something that you said there where it's, they're not, you can't totally untether them, right? So it's like empathy and compassion, but also it's like when you think about relationships and your work, like I I know in all three of us, you know, Mike is starting a company, Michael is launching a school, like I'm sort of taking myself out of the VC world for a while, we'll see, and and working on this product. Um, that's, that's like an enterprise technology product and I am not, you know, on a sales or relationships role, but people are so current and empathy is so, I feel like that, that developing it, it is, it is sort of a professional skill and sort of an on the job everyday thing. My, my sister graduated from law school last week. Oh, thanks to her. Yeah. It's exciting. And it's actually the best commencement speeches I've seen ever. Um, at the law school graduation at NYU and, um, the speaker, Preeth Bharara, he is the U S attorney for, uh, the Southern district of New York. And his, um, his whole thing was practice law, like a human, Mm. um, and emphasized a lot of like being, you know, being able to get your client to share and getting a witness to testify and, understanding why people what people's motivations were for committing an act or crime or developing a law that actually resonates with the people and knowing understanding the history behind some of these things he's like you're never going to find that in law books like nothing yeah. at the school taught you any of that and i just i really think there's a line to draw there that that like both compassion or both empathy and then also the acting on it and compassion are are sort of probably relevant to any yeah. of the career decisions or like the career positions that we'll put ourselves in absolutely what are some of the things like at minerva in the last year you know Mm. you said you were you know to bring it a little bit like full circle you were saying that conviction is really important so uh i guess two-part question one where does your conviction stand today um on that decision or like how is what is the state of your conviction on it being where you want to be and where you want to go and um and the second there like what what parts of empathy and compassion about students or teaching. I know you spend a lot of time working with the first class and it'd be awesome to hear like sort of what they've taught you um, in ways that were unexpected learning from, from your job. What a great question. Um, hmm. So the first question on conviction, I think, you know, for the time being, and this is like totally in the spirit of what Mike was saying earlier um, I think when you're doing what you're doing, you have to have total conviction in whatever it is. And so right now, I'm just like totally committed to just doing the best that I possibly can and making Minerva as successful as possible. Um, 
and I'll, I guess I'll come up for air eventually from my deep dive and like reflect and see if that's the right thing for me right now. And what it may be like, it's, you know, a good thing for once a year or once every half year, whatever maybe. But for the time being, I'm just like sort of total conviction heads down. Um, in terms of the second question, like what I've learned unexpectedly, I think one of the big things is just how powerful, um, I think how powerful like magical experiences are in bringing people together and, you know, being very memorable. I think like one thing we do incredibly well here at Minerva, it's something that I've been very blessed to be sort of a part of and you know, almost just like more on the partially on the consuming side, partially on the, you know, producing curating side is a part of a bunch of magical experiences. I mean, I think one of, we're trying to build and reimagine a university from scratch in all dimensions. And one of those is like rituals and traditions. And so we had this one guiding question last fall, December, which was, um, what is our finals week tradition? You know, there are a lot of universities like uh, my experience undergrad at Harvard, we had this uh, thing called Primal Scream, which was, you know, like the night before finals week, everyone would strip naked in the central freshman yard and just run a naked laugh. And it was like, I mean, it was like freezing cold. Um, I did this my senior year. Like it was a bunch of, it was like so much fun, uh, like a bunch of adrenaline. There's like 500 people running it. But we essentially asked that question, like what is our version of Primal Scream? And then we designed a whole experience around that. And I won't get into what it, the details of what that was, but um, it was such a magical experience. And I think one of the takeaways for me was just like those experiences are just so much more memorable and bring people so much closer together than any number of smaller but not quite as magical experiences, right? Like, I would like rather like invest your resources into trying to be a part of like one really, really magical thing rather than trying to create three things that are like pretty, pretty great. So mm. I think that's like one takeaway. Um, the students themselves, I think I'm, I'm just like constantly inspired by how mission driven they are about their education. And there's something that I definitely, I definitely wasn't. And like so many of my, I wonder what, how you guys feel about this. I just didn't definitely feel, didn't feel this in college. Like they just have such a fundamentally different relationship with us, like their university where, I mean, the conversations we'll have at like, I don't know, like dinner with the students at 6 PM when school's out, it's the summer and like, we'll go and get dinner somewhere. And the things they want to talk about are things like, what does our meal plan look like? And how do we improve that? And like, you know, ethically, how, like, what should be the line, like, how, where should the lines be drawn between interns and like regular students when it comes to doing like outreach work? And they're just, their minds are constantly humming with building this institution. And that is such an empowering thing and such like an inspiring thing to see. Um, and I think it, that like attitude will serve them so well in like anything they end up doing. Um, just like constantly thinking about how they can improve. And this is like looping it back to 50 lists. Like one of the people on my 50 list is Ben Franklin. I think it's something that he had in spades which then it wasn't a university, it was like a country. And it was Philly, the city, which, Mike, are you in Philly right now? Yep. yep yeah, yeah, and like, just Ben Franklin like had what I call like civic creativity, where he would constantly be thinking about like, how can the city of Philly improve? And like, how do we like, you know, how do we fix like the problem of fires? How do we fix the problem of lighting? How do we fix the problem of like, you know, the streets being smelly? And he had just this, like he was constantly thinking about these civic issues However you, like, whatever you define the scope of civic to be, in his case, it was the city, and, like, you know, hacking on those problems. And I feel like our students have that in the same way, but, you know, here, where they define civic as the university. So, 
Oh, so I wanted to add another question there. So there's like this, um, this interesting thing that's happening with like the gig economy and like, you know, people, millennials spending less and less time at this, at the companies that they yeah. are. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's a trade off there, right? If they're always trying to, you know, right now you have these students, they're invested in your school, they're putting their energy and benefiting from how much better the company gets. And I think that's also what happens, or my guess is that's what happens when people stay at companies a long time, that they're invested in making it better. And so they, you know, put a lot of their resources in. Uh, do you think there's a loss of people moving around a lot or like what it's your, when, when, at least in our peer group, like yeah. people are constantly moving around, you know, me being the prime yeah. example, but like what, what, uh, is your take on the loss for the organization? Hmm. I don't know. Like I would, I might push back. I actually don't know that the, I think in the, like, maybe it's a little too simplistic to say this is like the past economy when like mm. people would stay for 30 years and get a pension. stuff. I'm reading this book right now called, um, working, which is written in 1972 by, this um, Pulitzer Prize-winning oral historian, Studs Terkel. Um, and it's basically interviews with like 70 different employees in the U.S. economy, everyone from you know, janitors to prostitutes and ad executives and uh, models and you know, car engineers. It's just absolutely incredible. It's so like empathy and compassion building. And I think one thing I'm struck by is like how people feel like automatons and like so complacent in like having been at a place for like 30 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's, it's actually like the, the rare combination of like constantly being civically creative within an organization only comes if that organization is very fast growing. Um, so I think if you can have like fast growing organizations where people stay a long time, I think that gets really interesting and I think you can sustain that. But I think it's hard to do when you have organizations that become stagnant and then people also maintaining this sense of like intrinsic motivation and then like constantly trying to improve the organization. Um, so to answer your core question though, I think, yeah, I don't know. I'm more concerned, like in terms of what's lost, I'm more concerned of what's lost on the employee side less than I am on the organization side. And what I mean by that is like, I'm more concerned with like people not committing rather than and, and just, like, the benefits that come from developing conviction and, like, digging really deep into something as opposed to what the organizations lose. That's a good that point. That's a really good point. I, I think, um, you know, even if you're in the wrong place, mm. if, you, if you're at a bad job or something, um, you know, you don't gain more by being less convicted or having less conviction for it. If anything, it still requires that you have the same amount of conviction that if you were at a job you loved, because then you're gonna still gonna learn a lot. But yeah. I think that the most dangerous thing is, like you said before, a lack of conviction, because then you're kind of just like in limbo. Yeah. Uh, like if you're going the wrong way, I think you'd rather it's better to sprint the wrong way and learn quicker that. <laughs> You're, yeah, in, you're yeah. in the wrong place than to yeah. like have a leisurely stroll in the wrong direction sure. and then like three years later be like, oh shit, I'm in the sure. wrong place. Sure, sure, sure. Um, One thing I'm curious to ask you guys is, you know, how do you think about skills development or personal development 
when it comes to an economy where you're going to be changing jobs a lot? You know, like how, yeah, how do you guys think about developing your skills when you're switching things quickly? I'll let Shilpi take this one first. She, she's uh, just transitioned, so. Yeah, it was, um, it was sort of a slap in the face when I was like uh, interviewing for jobs, you know, two years out of school. Um, and I spent a lot of time in like these associate roles for venture capital funds and sort of like short term helping portfolio companies and things that I thought were inherently valuable and making, you know, I was a lot of exposure. I was learning a lot about how companies are structured and how things work and how fundraising works and all the intersections between different types of institutions sort of in startup land. And, you know, then you're interviewing for jobs and it's like, well, I'm actually really not qualified for any of these jobs, like even the entry level positions. And that like, I, I have heard this though, that nobody is qualified for the yeah. jobs that they get, like that the line items on those job descriptions are inherently <laughs> misleading. Yeah. Um, and I think there's like a sort of a gender thing, which is what, in which I found that conversation mm. that like women won't apply for, mm. for the jobs that they're unqualified for. Um, but now in like making this decision and I'm sort of in this customer feedback loop on a product team, doing a little bit of product marketing, product management, the title doesn't really matter because at this point, mm, yeah. I just don't, don't know how to do anything that we're doing, right? I'm doing <laughs> enterprise pricing. I'm learning how to design a website. I'm like, you know, like actually figuring out how to put copy on a page that will attract the right type of customers. Like that's, it's writing, right? But it's a skill that's, something that's out of my comfort zone right and there's um you know 101 other things like learning how to work with hardware engineers how to look at a schematics for a circuit board and make sure yeah. that it's correct like I can see this stuff compounding and if it's taking me in a direction that I'm intentional or conscientious about it's sort of a choice like I put myself in this you know in this role in a company that I find interesting and meaningful but it's not it's not super intentional, right? It's very reactive. And yeah. so I think that balance between re being reactive and, you know, I talked to the CEO that I work for as like, you know, eventually I want to learn A, B, and C over, you know, the course of my time with this organization. He was like, yeah, absolutely. We're always going to have a need for those things. So just let me know when you have capacity and like, we'll make sure that yeah. you're around <laughs> those projects. And I think that like internal knowledge of yourself and, where you want to spend your time both on, you know, offering value to the company's needs, even like in Wilner's case, he's starting a company being reactive to like, this company needs to be funded. He needs to hire correctly. He needs to make mm. sure they're delivering the yeah. correct things, like the vision to his co-founders. Like part of it is reactive and then part of it is proactive. So that's, I think that's my approach is trying to make sure I'm feeding myself and you know, having enough, like consuming enough that I can also create something that is helping, yeah. you know, working on. Yeah. So Shopi and I actually had a conversation about this a while back where I, we kind of agreed that like committing to a skill is the scariest, seems like the scariest and most risky thing you can do because like, all right, let's say I'm going to commit myself to content marketing or learning Python, like in three years, those things may be completely irrelevant. Um, and so like, I've always thought more about my development in terms of the softer things. 
and mm -hmm. kind of like elasticity and the ability to learn quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I still don't think I'm like committing to any skill that I'm learning. I mean, right now, yeah. um, just because of the situation I'm in with the startup that I'm working on, like I'm learning sales, sales process, fundraising stuff. But like next month, it's probably going to be something entirely different. And honestly, I don't know how that aligns with any career goals. Like yeah. if, if Compass doesn't go well and I find myself looking for a job in two years, like I'll probably just be like, hey, don't really have any like core skill set, but I can figure shit out. Like that, that's really all I got. But I think uh, I'm kind of willing to take that risk. But mm. I, I really, you know, I think it's risky to, there's some things like development where like you have to make a commitment to being a developer because like things change so quickly and you have to stay on the forefront. So I think like more important than owning, like gaining mastery of a skill, especially in your career is like a commitment to learning and continuous growth. Yeah. Uh, because like the second you have something mastered, like it's all, something else has already like undermined that. <laughs> yeah. So I, it might be a cop out that I'm just saying, like, <laughs> huh, you know, whatever we take to justify. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it was a pretty good rationalization though of not like committing to a skill. Right. <laughs> well, I think it depends on how you construe – this gets into semantics a little bit, but I think if you like say what is the underlying skill, but like under an underlying content marketing, and it might be things like uh, – I don't know. I can't think of things off – you know what I'm saying? No, like, like storytelling. Yeah, that, that's something that – Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then if you're good at, I think, pitching yourself and like sort of like Legoing or Tetrising these competencies into like new skills to fit. You know, if you do need to apply the job at some point, then I think that's – that, that's a really good point, and, and I think that goes back to soft skills, right? Like content marketing is a hard skill, but the soft skill undermining, underlying that is, uh, you know, storytelling, for example. Yeah. And like with development, like knowing C sharp is a hard skill, but understanding logic and yep. like how programs work and, and how software works is more of a softer skill. Um, so like hard skills get thrown out the window really quickly, but I yeah. think the, the soft skills that like lay the foundation for them are the things that are worth spending time on, like empathy, yeah. you know, yeah. like how yeah. to hire a freelancer is a hard skill, but having empathy to relate to them and like understand their life is, you know, that'll always serve you. Totally. So another another question for you guys, and I know we're getting close to the end. So let let me know whenever you guys need to sort of pull the plug, wrap us up. But I'm curious. So as recent university grads, all of us, um, and with the economy fundamentally changing, uh, with you know we're going to be switching to so many jobs in over the course of our lives. There are some parts where we're going to be entrepreneurial. There are some parts where we're going to take career gap years. I think that's going to become a thing. <laughs> um, you know, switching careers, etc. Like. What do you feel like your university could have done better to prepare you for this type of world? And yeah, I, I guess like what would be something, one thing you would change about your university to better prepare graduates for this type of economic reality? I know like uh, I probably, Mike and I are both in pretty active conversations with both of our universities. Um, I mean, just in 
the Venture for America sense, like yeah. it's become a really big theater school for Venture for America. Um, and I have spent some time back at the Career Center talking to the director and some of the counselors about why I think that is and sort of like what type of students are well-suited and what type of students they might be sending in that direction that aren't super well-suited for the program or whatever. Um, and something that I think actually Venture for America does really well is sort of uh, saying out loud clearly there is no path, there is no right answer, there is no better, worse job for anyone. There's no higher, lower hierarchy and what is good or like nothing is inherently good. Nothing is inherently bad. You know, you are, you are responsible for creating the experiences you want to have, whether it be traveling internationally, living abroad, like making an impact, starting an organization. One, you're responsible for doing it and figuring out what it is. Two, you have all the tools and resources through, you know, these channels, um, here are some of the ways to go about that and just show yourself that you can do that. Um, and I think that's sort of like the time that you spend in college is like testing those limits. Um, Mm. and like having even like nuggets of some of those experiences. Like I remember Michael told me about this, uh, flash mob that he organized his freshman year at Harvard. And it was like realizing that he could create this experience and invoke so much joy and entertainment for other people, like that can scale with, you know, now he's doing it for an entire university of people mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, I think that's sort of like what universities can do is facilitating and sort of like easing students into that self-actualization in, in small doses so that when, you know, when I'm there being like, I really want to launch this big campaign of advocacy pet campaign, it's like, oh, well, I sort of did that on campus in a, in a small way, I, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to get in a little trouble here. Uh, <laughs> Be I, careful. I think in general, the idea of like what career services are meant to do is kind of contrary to what they need to be doing based on like what you just laid out, Michael. I, I think the focus is on, you know, did you get your internship for your sophomore year? Like you still need to get that so that you can have that on your resume so that you can then, you know, apply your junior year for a junior year internship and then get your job at the beginning of your senior year. And there's just this crazy pressure for like, this is how you, these are the steps you have to take to get a job. Um, It's especially prevalent at my university. And one of the best things about my university, Washington and Lee, is that like, the average salary of like someone f- five years out is like w- like top five in the country. It's mm. incredible. They're incredible at placing people in like great successful jobs and getting them started on great career paths. But I would argue that at Washington and Lee, people also probably go down career paths that are not aligned with like what they actually want. Mm. Um, so, like, to me, especially in the economy that's becoming a lot more flexible with, like, finding your own path, the emphasis needs to be more on some of the stuff we just talked about with, like, what are you – not what are you passionate about because I know how you feel about that, Michael. But, uh, like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do right now? Uh, and not necessarily, like, what's going to be the first thing that gets you to the 10th step down the road – because like you said, you walk through a door and then who the fuck knows where you're going to be. Um, so like 
I think the focus needs to be more on like the first door <laughs> instead of the fifth door. And mm. um, like, I think that a career path is really just a random walk and like no, none of us really know where we're headed. And like the only way you get there is by walking and figuring it out. As, as the great Gary Chow said, a, a <laughs> former uh, podcast guest. Oh, okay. But yeah. That, that's, uh, that's how I feel about that. But on that just, optimistic oh, note, <laughs> not just, not just uh, walking, not just strolling, but sprinting. Yeah, exactly. You just, yeah. So All right. um, I'll remove myself from my soapbox now. <laughs> uh, Michael, is there anything you want to add? Any, uh, anywhere people can check out Minerva, any books that you read recently, sort of like put it all out there for our listeners. Um, advice, words of wisdom. Stage is yours. Stage is mine. Um, no, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think just like a couple of frameworks that might be useful. Um, Career Manifesto is definitely a good one. I feel like it's good if you're already in your first job. So I would say check that out. Um, we'll put the link below in the in the description box of the of the podcast. Um, I think other frameworks are useful. I think spending a lot of time doing values exercises or like brainstorming your values is helpful and constantly checking in. And um, when you're having experiences, when you're having those nuggets, as Shopee was saying in college, and then. Once you come out of those, like thinking about values, how those changed. And one thing it's I think it's hard to change like think about values directly sometimes. So I think the 50 list, one of the benefits of something like that, and just to briefly say what it is, it's it's like a list of people you look up to. 50 is just kind of an arbitrary number, but then it's like, and then like why you look up to them. I think sort of getting analogies of other people is oftentimes a good way to to reflect on like what you what you care about. It's very hard to directly answer the question what do you yeah, value, yeah. but it's easier to like see it in other people's actions and lifestyles and be like, oh, that is something that there's some patterns here across the multiple people with the list. So yeah, I would say 50 list, career manifesto. Um, yeah. I don't know. Walk through those doors. Have conviction. <laughs> walk through walk, those walk doors. Through doors. I think we got a title for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, awesome. Michael. It was so great. Thank you guys yeah. so much. But tonight, don't call it a comeback.